All right, so we're in week two of our series called One Another, as you can see on the screen. We got that really awesome graphic. Uh, we've been doing, um, the, we did this series maybe four or five years ago, and we're doing kind of a revisit and a revamped version of it. Um, and, but basically the premise of this series is, is this. Um, if I had to summarize it in just a sentence or two, it would be this, that Jesus has called his church to be a community of people who abide in him, are connected to him, united to him, and love each other really well. That's, that's the intention that Jesus has for his church, that people would be a, a community a, in relationship with one another, that we would all be pursuing Jesus, not just individually, but together we would be pursuing Jesus and pursuing each other in the love that he's given each of us. Um, that is the hope, right? And now there, there's a lot of examples of how this has gone badly, gone sideways. A lot of churches and ours included in this would not have always lived up to the things that the Bible calls us to do and to be. But our intention as we get through the, the end of summer here, the tail end of summer, is we want to just hone in and focus on the intention of Christ for his people, the church, and, and look at that uh, in, with some intentionality. So um, over the course of the next few Sundays, we're going to be looking at some of the things that Jesus has called his church to be. Not all. We can't look at all of them, at least not in the short weeks that we have. Uh, but we want to just pull out a few of the things that God has called his church to do and be. And uh, last week, if you weren't here, we, we looked at Romans chapter 12, where the Bible tells us that God has called us to be one body in Christ, to be members of Christ and individually play our, our role in that, in that thing that the, the local church is. That we are to be members of Christ, that we are, he uses this analogy of the vine and the branches. And we looked at that in, in some depth last week where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit. You can't be living out the fruit of the Spirit if you're not relationally connected to Jesus. But Paul takes that even a step further and says, yes, we are all connected to Jesus as individuals, but that individual uh, re relationship with Jesus translates into a corporate relationship in the church. And so every one of us has a role to play in the local church to make it, the church as healthy and functioning as it can be. And so we talked a great length about that last week. So this week we're going to turn to another issue. And that is um, in Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 16 because that'll at least get us Get, get the commandment in front of us, right? Get what Jesus calls his church to do in front of our eyes, and then we'll step back and kind of talk through what that means for our time today. So look at Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. All right, so that phrase, teaching and admonishing one another is what we're going to look at this morning. So here's an interesting thing. As, as we read this in its context, 
Paul is writing to a church, a local church in the city of Colossae. That's why it's called Colossians. That's why that book has that title. Um, He's writing to this local church and he's telling the church uh, a lot of things. It's actually just like rapid fire. If you read Colossians, it's basically the same thing that Ephesians says, but in a much quicker way. So Ephesians is kind of a longer unpacking of the same things that Colossians talks about. But Colossians is just such a short book, a short letter, that it just kind of rapid fire shoots off all the things that we're supposed to be doing as, as a church. And in, in this, he's talking to every believer in the local church and every believer in the, in the global church and saying to us, Here's your call to teach and admonish one another. Every one of us is called to this. Every single Christian has a role to play in teaching one another. Now, with that said, Paul, just last week, we saw the the list of spiritual gifts in in, uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul mentions specifically the gift of teaching as a spiritual gift. So yes, there are going to be people who are uniquely gifted to teach in the local church, but he's not saying this in Colossians to just those few people. He's talking to the whole church. And so while there are some people who will have the gifting to formally do some teaching, um, every Christian has a role to play in teaching one another. And, and I get that that kind of, that might scare you a little bit because a lot of you may not feel like you have the ability to teach. And, and I want to put some of your mind at ease as we walk through this because there are so many things that Paul says in, the, in this little passage that will encourage your heart to be able to do, even in a small way, what Christ has called his people to do. And so that's what we're going to look at today. But I want to make it clear that this is not just talking to what we would call pastors or elders. It's not just talking to people who go on to teach in seminary or Bible college. It's not just talking to those people who are gifted in preaching and teaching. It's talking to the whole church. And every one of us has a role to play in this beautiful thing. So um, let's, let's just walk through this. And to do that, I'm just going to answer really two questions. The first is why, okay, why does Paul or the scriptures here say that we should teach one another? Why, why is that? What's the purpose of Paul's instruction here? And the second question we'll ask after we get through that is how? And thankfully, I don't have to make it up because Paul tells us how uh, in this passage. So um, we're going to first start with the why. And to do that, I think we need to back up just a little bit. First, uh, very briefly, we don't have to turn there, but I want to remind you that Jesus himself is the one who commissioned his church to this task of teaching. In, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we get what is called the Great Commission. It's where Jesus uh, speaks to his disciples for perhaps the last time before ascending back into heaven to be seated at the throne. And he tells them to go into all the world and make disciples. 
And disciples is not a word you're going to hear anywhere but the church, right? So a disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is someone who comes under the teaching of Jesus, who is submitting themselves to Jesus. And so the church is meant, the purpose of the church is to make disciples, to help more people meet Jesus. And the way that we talk about it here is we, we ex- explain our mission this way. We, are, we exist to love God love people, and help people love Jesus. And that's really what discipleship is. It's helping people love Jesus. It's, it's taking them and saying, hey, let's, let's help you along in this following Jesus thing. And so that's what discipleship is. So Jesus commissions his church to do that. And he says, make disciples, and he tells us how. First, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means we introduce people to Jesus as a Savior, and baptism is an external symbol of an internal salvation. Right? So he says, baptize them. So you help them meet Jesus and then you show, and then they, they walk in obedience and baptism. And then he says right after that, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So the process of discipleship is we meet Jesus in a saving way and then we're taught about Jesus in, in a growing way. All right, so that's, that's what uh, Jesus says about it. Now, Paul articulates this in Colossians a little bit, uh, slightly differently. He just phrases the same thing in a different way. If you flip back to Colossians 2, look at verse 6, uh, 6 and 7. Here's how Paul explains it. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, all right, so there's, Becoming a believer, right? You received the grace that God extends to you in Jesus. As you received his grace, what's the next little phrase? He has four words. So walk in him. As you received Jesus Christ as your Lord, so walk in him. And so discipleship is fundamentally about walking with Jesus and, and here's how we do it. In the next verse, he tells us how to do this. He says, rooted and built up in him, in Jesus, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So teaching is how we actually help people love Jesus. We, we love to help people love Jesus. That's the whole point of our church. And that's what really what Paul's laying out for us in Colossians chapter two. He's saying you were taught these things. So as you received Christ as Lord, so walk in him, being rooted and established in him, in that faith, just as you were taught. So, so this is what it's about. It's about helping people love Jesus. And the beautiful thing is, is that every single one of us gets to play a role in the church in helping people love Jesus, in helping people walk with him, in helping people take the next steps that they need to take. And that's a role that every one of us gets to play as we live in relationship with one another. We get to step into people's lives and their situation. And we may know full well that we're not as far along as we should be 
Every one of us could say that. None of us are Jesus, right? So all of us have shortcomings and we might think that because we have some shortcomings, we're not equipped or qualified to give anyone else instruction. But here's the truth. Just as you need instruction, you can give instruction to those who are in a different place, who are perhaps a little further back on the road than you. You're always going to meet people in the church who are further along and and further behind. And so we all can learn and we can all teach. It's a mutual thing, right? And and though people get to teach in a variety of ways, as we're going to see. So we, we help people love Jesus as we engage in what Paul is calling us to do. Um, so again, I, I want to just reemphasize this, that it's, it's, it's not just something we outsource to someone else. We don't, we don't hire professionals to do this for us. We shouldn't because God lives in us through the Holy Spirit. We are all equipped by him to take this role. Now, again, there are some of us who are going to be like me. I'm, a, I'm the pastor here, right? So I have a role here, a formal role to do some of this. I, I get that. I understand that. But, but it's not like everything gets outsourced to me because I'm the Bible guy. No, we're, we're all in this. And I've learned so many things from you and, I, and you've learned things from me, and we're all in it together. We're, we're not here to just outsource this to someone else. So let's, let's have that in front of us. And as we transition now into the next uh, section, we're going to ask this question, how do we actually do this? Right, so we've, we've established that we need to. Jesus tells us to teach as a way of making disciples. Paul tells us in Colossians 2 that we are to teach so people can better walk in Jesus and walk with Jesus. That's why. That's why we teach, because we want people to love Jesus. And teaching is the means by which they get there. But teaching is not always a a formal thing, right? Teaching can be formal, like what I'm doing now, but it can also be and more often than not, is informal as we live life together in relationships. So here's the truth, and this is always sad for preachers to admit, but you're going you're gonna to forget almost everything I say today by tomorrow. I know that. It's an exercise in futility. I get it. It's fine. But what you won't forget is how people around you live their lives. And what, what, what other people won't forget as you teach them is how you live your life. So I want to just encourage you that it's not just the formal thing. It's there's an informal thing as well. So let's let's look at this. Um, Go back to chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to look at verse 16 and 17 and just take these two short verses and unpack them a little bit at a time. All right, so verse 16, let's start. Notice how it starts. Right before he even says anything to us about teaching, he says first, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All right, now this is what I would call the pre- prerequisite, prerequisite, I can't even say it, to, to actually having a teaching role in the church. We cannot teach if we're not allowing the word of Christ to dwell 
in us richly. It starts there. He says first, before he gets to teaching and admonishing one another, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here's the truth. We cannot teach one another, whether formally or informally, if we are not soaking in the word of God. If we are not taking the word of God and dwelling in it, If we're not engaged in the word, we'll have nothing to give anyone else. I think of it like like a sponge, right? A sponge, if it's dried out, it's been sitting on the kitchen counter for a couple days. You give that thing like a squeeze in your hand and it's just as hard as a brick, right? It's like nothing's coming out. And, And yet you put it in water, you immerse it for a few seconds and it soaks in all this water. And then you give it a, a, a squeeze and all this comes out, right? It's this, uh, this idea that if we are dwelling in God's word, we're soaking it in, we're soaking it up, and then we'll actually have something to offer someone else. It starts there. And I don't think we should just blow past this because it's so easy for us to go, yeah, 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 okay, I, I need to have God's word in my heart. I get it, now let's move on. Um, No, I think we need to camp here for a few minutes because if we don't get this, if we don't understand what it means to dwell in the word of Christ or to have the word of Christ dwell in us, as it actually says, um, then then we're not going to have anything to offer anyone else. So, So how do we dwell in the word of Christ or how does the word of Christ dwell in us? Well, I'll say this, first of all, every single one of us has, has room to grow in this area. Me too. We all do. Uh, we all have room to grow in this because none of us have perfect understandings of the Word of God. And even if you think you do now, give yourself another five years and you'll realize you were wrong about so many things. <laughs> Because God's word continues to shape us and form us. And, and we, we may not be in a spot right now to fully grasp something that God is going to teach us many years from now. Right? We, God takes us with baby steps. He lets us take things in gradually so that we're not overwhelmed. And I'm, I'm often reminded of, of what Martin Luther said about this uh, on some level. I'm going to paraphrase it, but... Martin Luther essentially said that if God was to show us everything that's wrong with us all at once, we would die. We, we would just die because we, we can't hold that weight. So what God does in his mercy is he shows us our sin drip by drip, little by little. And, and he then confronts those sins little by little with his word. But, but again, it's not a deluge. It's not a, it's not a flood. It's, it's a slow process of growing in Christ. And so we all have room to grow. But let me just give you some real practical help. If you are sitting here and thinking, you know, I, I need to dwell in God's word a bit more. I need God's word to dwell in me in a more profound way. Let me just give you some things to, to consider and to apply to your life in this area. They're not, they're not gonna blow your mind, okay? They're simple and they are kind of obvious. I'll just admit that. But, 
But here's the thing. We may know these things and have not yet applied them. So here's the first thing. If you want the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, you need to read it. I just blew all your minds. I saw all the little explosions throughout the whole room. No, you, right? we need to read God's word. We need to, or, if, or if you're not a reader, that's okay. You can hear God's word. Put in the headphones, listen to it on audio. That, we live in a glorious time in history where we can literally have the Bible in our pocket on, in the phone and every single app that's out there for the Bible has audio Bible options. It's an amazing time to be alive. And so we need to immerse ourselves in it. We need to read it. We need to hear it. We need to in, just get it soaking into our lives. That's where it starts. And let me just tell you something. Sunday morning is not enough. It's never been enough. We need God's word in our lives as often as possible. Sunday morning is like a great uh, you know, boost in your, in your life, but it's not sufficient for everything. And so we, we need to immerse ourselves in it. Secondly, we need to reflect and meditate on God's word. Again, reading it is great, but if you don't stop and think about it and, and consider it, and get it actually going from your head down into your heart, it's not a whole lot of use. We need to reflect on it. We need to meditate. That's the, the, the Old Testament word for it, is to meditate on God's word, right? We, we need to let it work its way in us. We need to let it actually get down to the nooks and cranny and the crevices of our soul so that God can do his work in, it, in us through his word. We need to read it and we need to reflect on it. And here's, here's just something really practical for you if, if you need help with this. Um, I know that it's often our ambition, especially at the end of December, to get ready to read this thing in a year, right? Do a whole year reading plan, get through the whole Bible in a year. That's a wonderful thing to do. I, I'm not in any way opposed to that. In fact, we've provided you over the years with reading plans uh, for that purpose. But I don't think that by taking three or four chapters every single day gives you the adequate time to reflect. I think that can be one thing, but you also need and also should Take the opportunity to go through a book slowly, gradually, take it a paragraph at a time, take it a verse at a time, and just read it and think about it. I, I've seen God do amazing things in my life as I've just slowed down and poured over a paragraph or a sentence rather than going at lightning speed through the Bible trying to accomplish it as fast as possible. And I've done, I've done that too. I've read through the Bible many, many times. Um, I've read, read it cover to cover many times. I've done it where I had one year where I read it four times. I just did three months through the Bible. It was horrible, <laughs> not horrible, right? But it was a lot, like I shouldn't say horrible. It was just a ton to take in. It's like you got this fire hose to your mouth. And, and I realized after I did that, because it was sort of a badge of pride for me to go, I read through the Bible cover to cover four times this year. And, you know, kind of pretentious. Um, but but the, what I realized at the end of that was that I read it, but, but I didn't absorb it. 
And, and so I think it's good to read through it cover to cover. Of course it is. I encourage you to do that. But I really encourage you to take a little bit at a time. Pick one of Paul's letters, even one of his short letters like Colossians, and just say, you know what? For the next month or two, I'm just going to take a paragraph of this every day and read it and chew on it and read it again and chew on it and just keep working it into my heart. That pays off in great ways. Third piece of advice for you as you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. The Bible is a wonderful thing that is, it's simple and yet profound. But here's the truth. If we don't have God enlightening our eyes, we're not going to understand a lick of it. Even the simple things, we may read it and intellectually understand it, but we are not going to understand it in a, in a transforming way. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need his help in the passages that we would consider complicated, of, of course, but we also need his help to understand the things that are easy to understand with our minds because we need him to help us understand it with our hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you and, and I can attest to this. I study the Bible for my job, okay? This is what I do. So listen, I, I will tell you, there is not a week that goes by that I don't beg God to help me understand what I'm about to, to teach. And there are weeks where I read it. I usually start reading the passage I'm gonna preach like Sunday night into Monday morning. That's when I just start soaking it in. And all week I'm, I'm reading it, I'm studying it, I'm working through it, right? That's, that's, my, that's my thing, but listen, if, if, if I get into a passage, I'll read it. I may read it and go, I have no idea where to go with this. And there have been a lot, a lot of weeks like that where it's like, I'm, I might as well be looking at a brick wall. And, and that's where it's amazing to see how God actually helps. Like he's alive and he's real and he shows up when you ask him for help and he, and he helps I, I can tell you that. It's happened hundreds of times over my ministry years. And, and I, I really want to commend that to you. And then the last recommendation I would encourage you on for letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly is talk about the Bible with other people. Don't think that just in isolation you can understand or apply what needs to be done in your life. We need the Bible in the context of community. We need to discuss it and work through it in the context of other believers. You know why? Because other people have a perspective on the Bible that maybe you haven't seen. And that's basically what we're going to be getting to, right? That this teaching one another has to do with being humble enough to hear what others have to, to offer. And they may give a perspective that you never thought of that is actually probably possibly right and you were wrong. Now, not always. I've sat through Bible studies, never here, but in other places, I've sat through Bible studies where it's like, that is completely wrong, right? <laughs> what this person is sharing. And there have probably been plenty of times where they've thought that about me as well. Listen, you've got to discern, right? You've got to think through it for, for yourself. But working in this thing through community is absolutely vital. And that's one of the reasons why we emphasize small groups 
because small groups get you into a group of other guys or other gals or, or perhaps couples or whatever, but they get you into a group with other people and you get a chance to look at the word together. And yeah, there may be people in your group who are not where you feel you are. There may be people in your group that are way beyond where you feel you are. But every one of you has the opportunity to, to work through these things together. So the first thing that we have to work on if we're going to teach one another is we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's the prerequisite, right? That's where it starts. If you're not doing that, you'll have nothing in the tank to offer anyone else. But assuming we're, we're growing in God's word, then we can begin to, to teach other people. And I want to say it again. You don't have to feel like you're an expert to be able to do this, but you do need to be consistently growing in these things. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. I really want to hone that in and say that because it's, it's so important. I think a lot of us kind of stop short of being what God wants us to be in the church because we're afraid that we just don't know enough or, or maybe just don't... Ha- Listen, you may not know everything. I don't either. Most of you know that if you've ever sat down with me <laughs> to talk. You're like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, right? The, the, that's the fact, right? We don't always know what the right thing to say is. We don't always know how, how to handle things, but we trust Christ to use us however he wants to use us. And, and, and we just need to be faithful to let God's word speak to us and have something in the sponge to, to give to someone else. So here's what, here's what we have to offer. Let's look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. Admonishing is basically encouraging someone uh, towards a, a, a process of growth, right? So it's like giving somebody advice and wisdom um, that, they can, that they can hear. Teaching and admonishing one another. And then the question is, okay, how do we do that? Here's, the, here's where we start to see it. First, in all wisdom. The first way that we can teach people is by offering wisdom to them. We, we, we can teach one another as we offer up the wisdom that God has given to us in that situation, in that moment, to help them with what they're going through. Now again, you may feel, as I do, totally inadequate for these things. And you may not think that what you have to offer them in wisdom is all that helpful, but you'd be surprised at what God can do. But this is what Paul says, to teach one another, we're to teach in all wisdom. In wisdom. So what is wisdom and and how do we attain it? Well, the first thing we need to recognize is that wisdom is rooted in Jesus Christ. He's our wisdom. Our relationship with Jesus makes us uh, or allows us to tap into true wisdom. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. He says, And because of him, that's God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus Christ became to you 
as he brought you into a relationship with him, he became to you wisdom. So here's the thing. If you have nothing else to offer anyone, you have this. You have Jesus. And, and listen, don't think that that's nothing. That's everything. That's what people need. People who are struggling, people who are coming to you for, for help or for guidance or, or just as a friend to say, hey, this is what I'm going through. How can, how, how can I move forward? Right? We all have friends who will approach us at different times and ask us for, for some guidance or direction or wisdom. Right? What they need is not a bunch of steps to take. What they need is Jesus. And Jesus will lead them and guide them through your relationship with them. He will lead them and guide them into what he wants for them. And here's the truth. Most of the time when we do things that are really reckless and really foolish and really like out there, it's because we're not actually doing what Jesus would have us do, right? We're, we're, we're living for ourselves or we're living in selfishness or we're whatever. If it's, but it's all about Jesus at the end of the day. That's what wisdom is rooted in. Secondly, James tells us in James 1.5 to ask for wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. What does that mean? It means that if you need wisdom and you ask God for wisdom, God is going to give you wisdom and he's not going to begrudge you for it. He's not going to reproach you. He's not going to go, oh, you're asking for wisdom again. No, he gives generously to all who ask. And James promises us here, and it will, it being wisdom, will be given to him. If you ask for wisdom, if you lack it, ask for it. Ask God for wisdom. He will give you wisdom generously. And he will give that to you through all kinds of means. He will give that to you through friendships. He will give that to you through, through family members. He will give that to you through his word. He will give that to you in a million different avenues. But if you don't know where to turn, ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you. So we're called to offer wisdom to others, which means that as people in the church engage with us and live in life with us and, and we're in relationship with them, there will be opportunity for us to speak into their lives and say, you know, this is, I think, what God wants for your life right now. This, th- those conversations, we may feel awkward because we don't want to like meddle in people's lives. But here's the truth. There's, there is nothing more loving than to help someone not be dumb. <laughs> okay? Like, and again, you don't have to do it in a rude way. You don't have to be like that blunt about it, of course. But, but listen, we're called to help people walk with Jesus. We're called to, to help people love Jesus. And the thing that gets in the way of us loving Jesus is our own ignorance so often. So we need people to speak into our lives and go, man, that's not a good idea. And they, your friends may not appreciate that in the moment, but they will as they take time to reflect on it. That's why Proverbs tells us that uh, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, but, but uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend may wound you, but it's 
to lead you to faithfulness and it's them being faithful to you. And an enemy doesn't care whether you stumble into a pit or not. They're just going to go, ah, you're great. You're wonderful. Just keep, keep walking. Keep walking that, that way. I don't care if there's a pit in your way. I'm not for you. But a friend's going to go, hey, open your eyes, you fool. You're going to walk into this pit. And that's going to go, you offended, my, you offended me. You called me, you know, whatever. But, but it's for, for our own good. We all need friends to do those things for us. We all do. Again, you've got to handle it with tact, right? Of course, the way I'm saying it now is much more blunt than, than I would actually say it to someone who's asking for help. But, but that's, the, that's the idea, right? We need to help each other in all wisdom. Secondly, look at what he says next in verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom Next, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love this one. One of the ways that we teach is through our, our worship. Like we use music and we use songs in the context of the church, but also perhaps if you have the the ability to do this in your home. We do this for our children too, right? We sing or we play music off of the internet that, that points our kids to, to Jesus. We sing songs in church. Why? Because the truths of the songs that are rooted in scripture actually teach people things. And I can think of so many songs that have taught me the truths of the Bible who have, that have taught me right theology because the church has been faithful to, to sing songs that point us to Christ. I think that's a, really an amazing thing. It's, very, it's actually very unexpected if you're thinking about this because we don't associate songs, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. We don't associate that oftentimes with teaching. When we think of church, we, we put it into categories, right? We got song time, we got scripture reading time, we got preaching time, we got whatever time, right? And the whole thing is meant to teach. The whole service is meant to instruct. And, and that's why we have taken so much care of what songs we sing, and we put it through, we put songs through a, a process and, uh, and we just, we won't even touch a song if there's something that's questionable and go, you know, I don't know if that's exactly right. We just, we won't even, even if it's a great song that we like and enjoy, liking it and enjoying it is not the criteria for why we sing in church. We sing songs that are true and we're going to pick songs that we can stand by and go, you know what, that's true. And if there are songs that we've been singing that, that don't align with that, that we realize that later, we'll, we'll, we'll pull them from the books, man. We'll say, ah, it's out. It doesn't get, doesn't get on the rotation. Because singing songs and hymns and spiritual, or hymn psalms and spiritual songs is what Christ calls us to do as we teach. And this is the other thing. For those of you who are parents, I, I've really, from day one, our church has been committed to having children in our service as much as possible and as young as possible. We don't have our children's ministry go through like fifth or sixth grade. And that's not because we don't love your kids. It's actually because we do in our own misguided way. We love your children. And so whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. But we've chosen to have our children as, as early as they can because we know there's, 
there's practical things here, right? Two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, hard age group to, to sit in church and absorb. But as kids start getting into school age, man, we want them in here. Why? Because what they're going to see you as their mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle or whatever, what they're going to observe you doing is going to teach them what, what it means to love and worship Jesus. And so we want to encourage that as much as possible. All right, got to keep going here. One more thing in verse 17. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the last way that we can teach, at least in this text, the last thing that Paul mentions is by how we live our lives. In, he says, whatever you do in word, what you say, or deed, what you do, he says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How you live your life teaches way more than anything else. How you live and when what you say lines up with what you do, it's, it's even more profound. We need to recognize that this is a role every one of us gets to play, not only for our immediate family, but for the broader church, that how we live our lives speaks and teaches and, and proclaims who God is. And again, we're never going to be perfect in these things. Paul's not saying that you have to always do everything right because we have grace that covers our failures. But as we walk in Christ, as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, we should be trying and pursuing, walking in him in obedience more and more in everything we say and everything we do. And that's where all of this comes back to. It all comes back to helping people love Jesus. And, and how we live our lives will help people love Jesus as they see us. As they, and even in our failures, right? You can teach so much ab about Jesus through your failures. And here's how you do it. When you fail, admit it, own up to it, and repent of it. That's going to teach your kids, what it means to follow Jesus. Don't, listen, I've had to learn this too, right? Don't, don't just think that, okay, I sinned against my children and I can just move on because I'm dad and they don't need to know that I'm a sinner too. No, no, no. When I fail and when you fail, we need to go to our children and we need to admit our failures to them. We need to acknowledge the ways that we've failed them and sinned against them. We need to ask them for their forgiveness and we need to point them back to Jesus who is the forgiver of all of our sins. That will teach our children what it means to love Jesus because every one of us will fail to love him and every one of us will need to return to him. So here's the deal. Teaching that is not by pretending we don't make mistakes, but acknowledging them when we do, owning up to them, coming clean with them, and repenting of them. Those, that's how we teach. That's how we teach. And all of this comes back to Christ, right? That Jesus died for us on the cross. And as he did, all of our sins were placed upon him and all of his grace was extended to us. And so when we receive his grace and we walk in his grace, we get to teach others 
about that grace and point them to him. That's an amazing call. This is not just something we should go, okay, well, yeah, all right, fine, fine. No, we should be excited to have this ministry of teaching and admonishing one another because as we do, we get to help people love Jesus. And there's no greater thing. There's no greater thing than helping people love Jesus. And you don't have to stand up on stage to do it. You can live your life in, in a faithful way to Christ, in obedience to Christ. And when you fail, you repent. All those things come together to teach. And so let's, let's be reminded of these things. Let's, let's point ourselves back to the grace of God at the cross so that we can acknowledge the ways we've failed today with our families, with our friends. We can admit today the ways we've failed this uh, past week and we can cast all of those things back to Jesus on the cross and say, Lord, I, I receive your grace again this morning. So we'll do that. We'll do that as we sing together. We'll do that as we partake of the Lord's table. And, and I would encourage you uh, to, to do some of the heart work that, that needs to be done as you prepare to approach the table. Um, but let's, let's pray and then I'll explain what, what that'll mean for us. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the grace you've given us in Jesus. And I pray, Father, that as our hearts are drawn um, to this portion of our, of our um, service today, as we sing to you, as we lift our voices in thanksgiving to you, as we go to the table in, in worship of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, I pray, Father, that you would work in our lives as you see fit. And I pray, Father, that you would enable each of us to, to walk out what you've given us in your word to teach and admonish one another. I pray that this would be true in our lives and would you do it for us? And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.